We are at Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. We'll begin reading from Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. And uh, we'll read through to verse 11. This is God's holy word. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin... The spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. May we go to our God and ask for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Our Lord God, we thank you, Father, for your indescribable gift in your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we acknowledge that we are sinners, that we're in need of your mercy and grace. And Father, that you gave your grace so bountifully in your son, Jesus, that when the fullness of time came, that he was born of a woman, born under law. Father, we acknowledge that this gift is something that should always be celebrated. Father, we thank you for you indeed are one who loves your people, that you remind us of your love all the time. Father, we pray, even as we worship you this day, we pray, Father, that the good news of the gospel uh, would be in our hearts, in our minds, in our conversations. We pray, Father, for your people, for the necessary reminder that our Lord Jesus and our Lord Jesus Christ indeed is the best gift of all. We thank you for your provision for us. We thank you, Father, for there is no other way to heaven but through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we pray, Father, that our Lord Jesus would be exalted and that your servant will be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. No. No. No again. I'm sorry. No. How often do you hear the word no? Children, do you often hear this word from your parents? Parents, you often hear this word from your children. Do you get this all the time from uh, the retail salesperson? 
No, I have to wash my hair tonight. Well, hey, these are things that we hear all the time. This rejection, this closed door. How often do you have to hear it? Do you find it disappointing? Do you find it discouraging to hear no so often in your life? Well, in this passage here, have you ever thought that no actually is good news? Because here in verse 1, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation. This indeed is good news. That sometimes in this particular instance, especially that an emphatic no is the best news there is to sinners. Here, we, we have the letter of Paul to the Romans. And the central message that he presents, pretty much from beginning to end, is this justification by faith. And if justification by faith mean, means faith means anything, it must be justification by faith alone or by faith apart from works. Justification by faith and works is nothing but works. Here, we have in Romans chapter 8, the greatest chapter in the entire Bible. Some would argue that. But this chapter speaks about a whole lot of no's. We have in this passage no condemnation. Other parts of Romans, he speaks about no separation. And then he also speaks about no defeat. Christ not only frees sinners from the guilt and penalty for sins, meaning that there's no condemnation, but he also frees sinners from the power of sins. So here we will see in this passage, Romans 4, <clears throat> chapters 8, uh, Romans, sorry, Romans 8, chapters 1 through 4. We see this truth. The gospel is that by faith, Christ paid the penalty for your sins and fulfilled the law perfectly on your behalf. The gospel is that by faith, Christ paid the penalty for your sins and fulfilled the law perfectly on your behalf. We'll look at this in three points. The first is the gospel presented. Second, the gospel explained. And third, the gospel believed. <clears throat> so the first point, the gospel presented in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here we think about this letter. The letter to the Romans. It's the Apostle Paul's grand treatise on justification by faith. You think about the other world religions. They all attempt to answer that question. How can man be made right before God? And every world religion answers that question with man's work and his accomplishment. In Christianity, man is made right before God by God's work through his son, Jesus Christ. And it's not through man's work. This is where Christianity finds its uniqueness, finds its distinction. It's not what can you achieve, it's what has Jesus achieved on your behalf? What has God done for you? The glory is not to the one who tries, not for the one who works or the one who wills. The glory is to the God who saves. Amen. Here in Romans 1, <clears throat> we have a brief summary of the entire chapter of Romans 8. Some can claim that this Romans 8.1 is a brief summary of the entire book of Romans. And some would even go so far as to claim that this Romans 8.1 is a simple summary of the entire Bible. That God reveals to man the entrance and the problem of sin, along with the guilt and the judgment and all its consequences. The story of the Bible then, <clears throat> the story of the Bible, 
is about God's plan for man's redemption and God's great provision in his son, Jesus Christ. Perhaps we can talk about <clears throat> the proper order here. We, we have an English. We have an English. We don't have case endings. So the order of the sentence matters. In other languages, like in Greek, uh, order, order is, is not of importance. Other languages have that too, where it doesn't matter what order you have. They can change the order, and it's for emphasis. But this, this sentence here, there's certain things are added. Uh, there's, no, there's no verb. There is, right? It's no condemnation. It begins with no. And it's not a regular no. It's emphatic no. Uh, I could use another word for, or it's an absolutely no. An absolute no. Condemnation. Now, for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the emphasis is on the no. The emphasis on, is on the not, the rejection. But we have here the gospel in a nutshell. And when we talk about condemnation, we have to start with the bad news, start with the problem. And in the gospel, <clears throat> the simple matter is that you cannot get to the good news. There is no good news when you skip the bad news. There is no good without the bad. You think about the entire book of Romans and what he's presenting. This good news of justification by faith where he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, meaning he is exceedingly proud. He is exceedingly boastful of the gospel. He's boasting in the Lord, not in himself. But shortly after that, he begins with the bad news. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. He talks about this bad news, this wrath of God that is revealed. This is condemnation. He begins by speaking about the Gentiles. In Romans 1, the second half of Romans 1, he speaks about the Gentiles. And we look around, and what he's saying is, it's so blatantly obvious. It's so blatantly obvious the sins of the Gentiles, their wickedness. All you have to do is read the news. Uh, read the news of, of any nation. Uh, the calling of evil good and good evil. And then when he finishes that, the painfully obvious thing uh, about the, the sins of the Gentiles, <clears throat> then he proceeds to speak about the sins of the Jews. Because he's saying that our God is just. That the Gentiles are obviously sinful. But then he points to the Jews and says, hey, listen, it's not as if the Jews... Are, are, are those who uh, are excluded. That they are possessors of the law. They're even teachers of the law, but we're told that they're not obedient to the law. It's, it's not, you cannot boast in, in having the law, being recipients of the law. He's saying that, that as those who have transgressed the law, that they actually have greater sin. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, the ground of condemnation, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then he speaks about the matter in Romans 5, about our representation, that we have in Adam, our federal head, that we all sinned in him and fell with him. Romans 5.12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. This is where many people will start to get upset and say, hey, that's not fair. That Adam sinned and we are condemned. 
And what we have in, in Adam is our representative, that God chose this representative for us. And he chose him perfectly, meaning that if you were in Adam's place, if you were in Eve's place, you would have done the exact same thing. And let's not complain about Adam and Eve, because uh, though they have, you have their sin against your account, you also have the, the hundreds of billions or trillions of your own sins. And, and let's, let's not complain about the one that he, that he had to your account. We have the good news then. So the, the bad news is the condemnation. The good news is the solution. Second half of verse 1. For those who are in Christ Jesus. For you who are in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation. And we ask. Well is Christ the only way? Is he the only solution? First Timothy 2.5. For there is one God. And there is one mediator between God and man. Uh, God and men. The man Christ Jesus. Jesus is the only mediator. He's the only one who's God and man. He's the only one who can stand between God and man. So here, for those who are in Christ Jesus, what does it mean to be in Christ? It means to be united to the Lord Jesus by faith. It means believing his testimony about man's sinful state and that it applies entirely to you. So, so you, can, you can think, oh yes, I can read the news. I, I see and I hear that people are sinful. But that applies to them. It doesn't apply to me. It's strange how we can uh, hear certain things and we, and we just think it completely doesn't apply to you. Here, you, you wonder. You wonder. What about the people who, who live upright lives? Well, how upright are their lives? Do they obey even the letter of the law? And we have the perfect standard that God has given us. You look at the Sermon on the Mount. Now Jesus says, hey, it's not merely the letter. It's the spirit. It's thought, word, and indeed. Who, who keeps the, the spirit of the law even in his heart? The answer is we're all condemned. And you ask, well, what about, what about that secular philanthropist who, <clears throat> who is kind and, and gives away all kinds of money to people? And, and isn't he better off than the, uh, the armed bank robber who takes little children hostage? <clears throat> well, here on earth he's better off. Maybe in hell he'd be better off too. But the bottom line is outside of Christ. That's what matters. They're outside of Christ. The, the secular philanthropist who says, hey, I, I don't need Jesus. Hey, I, I see this. There's therefore no condemnation. That's great. They want to end the sentence right there. That's great news. Nobody's condemned. This is universalism. Because they reject this part as for those who were in Christ Jesus. They don't like this idea of judgment. And they don't like this idea of the only way outside of judgment, out of God's condemnation, is through Christ Jesus. So they want to change this good news in whatever way they can. Uh, there's no condemnation for people who try to be good versus those who don't try to be good. Or, hey, let's just... There's just no condemnation for anyone at all. Sometimes people walk in there saying, hey, well, what's, what's God's problem, right? I'm just trying to live my life, trying, trying to make it to retirement, right? They, they imagine, oh, there's, God, you, you, you've got something, you've got the wrong guy. We're, you and I, we're, we're, on, we're on equal footing, and, uh, you know, we're, we're, new, there's, we're neutral, right? I, I'm not against you or for you. No, no, 
No, this is not true at all. Our, it describes our, the nature of our own hearts that no one's neutral to God. Right? You're either going to hate him, you're going to despise him, you're going to rebel against him, or he opens your eyes, he gives you new life, and you see your need for Jesus Christ, and, and then you will love him and give thanks to him and praise him and live your life for him. There is no neutrality with God. Here, <clears throat> being united to Christ means we're no longer trusting in our own filthy righteousness. No. Uh, our our perfect work, no, imperfect work, we, that can't save us. But we're trusting in Jesus' perfect righteousness. That's what it means to be united to him. <clears throat> it means death to your old self. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul summarizes in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Here we think about this statement. <clears throat> For those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. This is, this is strong, a stronger no. The stronger no <clears throat> than the regular no. It's a powerful negation. It leaves no exceptions. It shuts the door. It excludes all other options. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is absolutely no condemnation. It, it's not a, hey, you know, if you believe in Jesus... There, there probably won't be condemnation. There's most likely not condemnation. Eh, you know, chances are you probably... No, the answer is absolutely not. No condemnation at all. It means no. What part of no don't you understand? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, condemnation is no more. And then we think about the now. There is therefore now no condemnation. Don't let people fool you to think, well, <clears throat> this justification, it only happens on the last day. And until then, you should be shaking in your boots. Because here they're concerned as well. If we tell you you're justified, then you're just going to go and, and, and live, live like, like a bat out of hell. Like you're going to live like a pagan. Well, hi, that's only proof that you never believed to begin with. And you think about, well, is, is that a better way to motivate people to proper living? The counterintuitive thing is, no, it's not. It's a horrible way. Because people live under doubt. They live under fear. They live with no comfort and no satisfaction and no assurance. Rather, what we have is this now. There is therefore now no condemnation. That all who are trusting in Jesus Christ have passed out of death and into life. This means that in justification, all of your sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. You pass from death to life. Now, does this mean that you still need to repent of your future sins? Well, certainly. Certainly it means that. But it's not as if you, you sin and then you pass out of death or out of life into death, and you go from life to death and life to death. No. You go out of death into life. There's no condemnation, not now, for all of you who are in Christ Jesus. And I hope you can understand that this is a, a brief summary of the gospel. And this should be good news to you as a sinner. That 
God, who is holy and righteous, will receive sinners. He receives us into his presence. He sends his son to accomplish that work. There are only two options then. There's no third option. The first option is you're in Christ. And there's absolutely no possibility or option of condemnation for you. Or you are outside of Christ. And there absolutely is condemnation and no way out of it. So that's the first point the gospel presented. We have the second point the gospel explained in verses 2 through 4. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Here, we have the gospel explained in verse 2. And he explains it through principles. He gives the two options. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So those are the two possibilities. And he uses the word law, not not as a precept, not not as a commandment, but he uses the law as, uh, so to say, principle. Or perhaps you can summarize the power, the power of the spirit or the power of of sin or the power or the dominion of the the power of the spirit of life being inside of Christ, that this is the way that God graciously provided for his people to be saved. This is the way of freedom. It is the way, it is the only way of life through the Holy Spirit. And this is the way of life that he gives through the Son, Jesus Christ. This is the way of grace. It is the way of faith, meaning it's the way of faith apart from works of the law. The other option is the law of sin and death. This is for those outside of Christ. What the law does for us, contrary to the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and he, he asks, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and here Jesus is talking to the young man and he, he says, well, obey the commandments. And, and here Jesus is not saying, he's not acknowledging what this man says is true. This man says, hey, uh, all those I have kept since, since I was a child. And, and Jesus comes back and says, hey, wait, wait a minute. One thing, one thing you can do. Sell all your possessions and give it to the poor and follow me and you will have eternal life. Jesus wasn't saying, hey, if he does that, then he will be a possessor of eternal life. He was actually saying, hey, listen, you've come to me with the law to justify yourself. And he says, I don't need to talk about all the other stuff. I'll just hit you with this one part to show you that the law condemns you. So this young man comes to Jesus saying, Jesus, the law justifies me. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm not going to argue about all the other stuff that you claim to obey. I'm just going to come with this one part of the law and show you the law doesn't justify you. The law condemns you. And that's why he went away sad. This happens for every single man, woman, and child who come and say, the law justifies me. No, it doesn't. The law only condemns. Adam and Eve failed in the garden. And that from that point on, it had an effect on every single one of their descendants by ordinary generation. Simple man and simple woman conceive. They can only give birth to another sinner. The law shows you where you fail. And it can only bring condemnation. Do not go to the law and say, God, this law justifies me. 
He will prove you wrong. God doesn't grade on a curve. There is no spiritual curve because Jesus breaks the curve, right? He, he's the perfect righteousness. There's no relative righteousness. The wages of sin is death. The law only condemns. Here, in verse 3, it says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh. There was nothing wrong with the law. We're told in Romans chapter 7, verse 12, so the law is holy, righteous, and good. There's nothing wrong with the law. The law reflects God's holy character, which is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's nothing wrong with the law. There's, there's nothing weak about the law. Uh, it's we as sinners who are weak. You think about our nature, that we can't possibly even desire what is right and good in God's eyes, what is holy and just. We can't desire that. That for a sinner to hear the good news of the gospel outside of the work of Christ, there's something that happens. It's, it's like the, the matrix where the gospel is coming to them and, and it's like that bullet and, and the matrix guy you know, does this dodge that somehow with the unregenerate man, the gospel never gets to him. It never gets to his heart because he somehow he excludes himself. No, I, I, don't, I just don't need it. Everyone else needs it but me. Or the worst is they just come back and say, that's too good to be true. God, you lie. And they reject it. Here, we think about this inability then. It's man's sinfulness. It's our sin nature problem. A heart of rebellion that rejects God and his law. This is why the law never justifies us. All who are under the law are under a curse. And it is Jesus Christ our Lord who redeems us from that curse. Continuing in verse 3, for, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. So the law doesn't justify. He never gave it to us to justify us. But what he does do, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Here, a sinless sacrifice is needed. And God alone is holy and without sin. There also must be an equal sacrifice, a just, a just payment, an eye for an eye, so to say. That the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin because a bull is not the same value as a man. Men are created in God's image. Bulls are not. So there must be an equal sacrifice. It had to be a human. And the only way for a human to be perfect is if that human is also God. And that is Jesus Christ, the God-man. That he is holy and without sin. And he is the one and only just substitute for man. So Jesus took upon himself flesh by being born of a woman. This is the, the mention of by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. It is not by sending his own son in sinful flesh because Jesus is without sin. A blemished sacrifice would be an unrighteous mediator. That would be worthless. That would be like a, a, uh, the, the line of, of the ironic priests that they kept on dying off because they were all sinful. They only pointed ahead to Jesus who is the perfect high priest without sin. That their work was not completed. Their work was merely a reminder of payment that had to be made. In Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 it speaks about Christ. 
for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He came in the likeness, came in the similarity of sinful flesh, but his flesh was not sinful. Jesus obeyed the law perfectly throughout his entire life. And then you have this mention here in verse 3. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and those three words, and for sin, or as we might understand, and as an offering for sin, that Jesus died on the cross at Calvary. He died in the place of sinners. And that is where God condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned it in his son. So you ask, who paid for your sins? Our answer should be, Jesus paid for my sins. He paid it in full at Calvary. He knew for whom he was dying. He didn't die for the sins of every person in all the world. He died for a particular people to pay the price to set us free. Here we think about good trades in life. <clears throat> was Alaska. Alaska was referred to as Seward's Folly. Forgot how much he paid for it. Was it a few million? They called, they called him a big fool because he bought this huge plot of land for a few million. Here, you, you go to California, uh, some of these small homes, you know, 1,500 square foot home, that might be several million. That, that, was, that was the cost of Alaska however many years ago. That was a great deal. But then you think about this gracious trade that we have that all of our sins put upon Christ on the cross, all of his perfect righteousness given to us that we receive by faith. There's no better trade than that. There's no better trade than that. I mean, see where it's folly uh, looks like a horrible trade in comparison that God gives to us what is exceedingly good. Hey, you could take your, your rubber and your trash and then he gives you gold. Well, this is still far better. You, you give to Christ your, your sins, your transgressions placed on the cross. He dies in your place. That you might trust in him, his perfect righteousness given to you. You ask, well, God, what is it that we have? We have no righteousness. Well, here, here's the righteousness of my son. He lived the perfect life. Receive it by faith. Believe upon him. Trust in him. Stop trusting yourselves. Trust in Jesus Christ, who is your hope for forgiveness. Here, we have the gospel believed. The gospel believed. The third point. <clears throat> this is no mere intellectual belief. There's no mere intellectual belief. <clears throat> it's believing that in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. God fulfilled, or Christ fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law because Jesus paid the price in full to set you free and the very righteousness he requires, Jesus supplies to you. Do you believe that? You realize it's not, it's not just checking this little box, this mental box. Oh, yeah, uh, these, these are the truths that I have to believe in order to be saved. I check this box, and I think about it twice a year, Easter, Christmas, and then it has no bearing on your life. No, no, no. no. It's not checking a, a box of intellectual assent. No, this is being transformed by the Spirit. This is new life in Jesus Christ. It's not just, yeah, I, I've, I've actually heard people say this, that, hey, 
Your gospel is simply that you live your life however you want, committing all kinds of crimes and sins, and at the end of your life, you just have to say, I'm sorry. No, I, I think that's somehow some type of a misrepresentation of the gospel. Because where, where does repentance come in? Well, obviously there has to be repentance in a person's life. There has to be a willingness to say, wow, these sins I once loved, I'm leaving them behind. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. See, that's the whole point of the second half of verse 4. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. To be in Christ means there's a, nece there's a necessary, a definitive break for you from the old life. And that you might live in the new life. means being transformed by the Spirit. The Spirit opens our eyes that we would see, wait a minute, why, why am I living in rebellion against God? And in this area, what, what about this area? What about how I spend my money? Well, what about the entertainment choices that I make? Well, what about the life occupation choices? What about how I spend my time? What about my values? All of these things begin to change when you realize that Jesus is the one who died for sinners, died on your behalf. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The, what you'll have is people speaking about you, perhaps your own family members. You live in the same home. And they would say something like, we don't know what happened to our son. We don't know what happened to our daughter. This person is no longer the same. There was a changed life. That was, that, was the, that was the answer that my father gave when my mom first heard the gospel. That he witnessed, hey, this woman is no longer the same. And you think a husband would know that. And he says, hey, what changed about my wife in the past year? Well, she keeps on reading her Bible and going to church and talking and praising this man, Jesus. Maybe I should be doing the same. Oh. Here, the evidence of faith in your life is that you are walking according to the Spirit. You have a new master. I know. Master, it has a bad connotation today. But what you and I must realize that as sinners... We need a new master. The master cannot be sin. The master must be the Lord Jesus. He is a master in every way worth following. There is no shame in believing and calling him master because he is master. He's bought you by his precious blood. Walking according to the spirit means being taught and reminded of all the things that Christ has revealed to us in his word. Walking according to the Spirit means your joyful submission to the Lord Jesus. But this is a good thing, that his commandments are not burdensome. Here we think about how this passage, Romans 8, 1-4, can be of encouragement to us. There's often people around this time who claim that all good people go to heaven. Hey, you know what? It doesn't matter how you live. Or, hey, uh, you just have to be better than the rest. right? At least I'm not 
an axe murderer. Well, this passage, Romans 8, challenges that false claim in our culture. Hey, you know what? What do we do with this? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're outside of Christ, it's saying there is condemnation. There is absolutely condemnation. Only in Christ is a sinner redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's you, then it means there absolutely is no condemnation. Here, we should not confuse condemnation with other things. No condemnation means no eternal condemnation from God as punishment for your sins. It doesn't mean that you have, like in Monopoly, a get-out-of-jail-free card in this life. That there still are and often will be present and worldly consequences for sins. If If these sins are also crimes in our society, it means that when you are asked by the judge what you have to say for this, you cannot say, hey, you know what, I became a Christian and Jesus has forgiven me of my sins, so I should get out of jail free. No, you should actually be saying, I trust that my eternal consequences have been paid for, but I have a debt to society and I must, I must be in prison for my full term. I can do it with joy because he has given me new hope in life. It doesn't mean that this no condemnation, does that mean there's no discipline in this life? In fact... As children of God, you will receive discipline. It's proof to you that you are not illegitimate children. So perhaps some of you might wonder, well, well wait a minute. Why, why, why is there so much shame that I face? Well, you, you could call it shame or you could call it being humbled. Isn't being humbled a good thing by, the, by our God who loves us? Uh, that he must increase, I must decrease. It's not like he's shaming us, he's humbling us. Why, why do I also have to be faced with my weaknesses? Huh? It's so that you might learn dependence on God's strength. So we, we, must not, we must not confuse the affliction and the discipline of God with the condemnation that's hanging over. They're not the same. They're not, absolutely not the same at all. No condemnation does, also doesn't mean that there's no rejection from men in the world. In fact, for all of you who have no condemnation because you're in Christ, it necessarily means that there will be your rejection by the world. It doesn't mean that there'll be no affliction. Of course there's going to be affliction. Think about Psalm 119, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now... I keep your word. God uses that affliction to humble us. He uses that that affliction to transform us into the image of his son. But we can rejoice that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have a true and a living hope that condemnation has been removed. That whenever difficulty comes to your life, it's, it's not you saying, oh, this is God trying to get me for something I did wrong, this and this time and this. No, no, no. We ought to say that if it's discipline, if it's hand of discipline from a loving father, so be it. But whatever eternal consequences have been paid for in Jesus Christ, now live your life in joy, trusting in the Father.
It's also a reminder to us that because of this good news of the gospel, that glory, honor, praise, and thanks belong to God for his indescribable gift. Will eternity be long enough for us to give thanks and praise to God for his grace and his mercy to us through his son, Jesus Christ? The answer is no, it won't be. But we can try. We can begin even in this life that we would give him thanks for we have in Jesus Christ our eternal life, our forgiveness of sins, and our hope of glory. And may we give thanks to our God that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We go to our God together in prayer. Our Lord God, we thank you, Father.